Blog Talk Radio. Driving all night, my hands wet on the wheel. It's talking in circles. That's the voice in my head that drives my heel. With your host, Clayton Caldwell. My baby calling till I need you here. And John Harlow. And that's a half past four and I'm shifting gear. Hello, everybody, and welcome. Talking in Circles is Clayton Cold on John Harlow here with you, breaking down the Auto Club 400 from the Auto Club Speedway today as Martin Truex Jr. dominated and won his 16th career race, the first one of the 2018 season for Martin Truex Jr., and it looked like a lot like the 2017 season for that 78 car. We'll talk about that. Um, just Kevin Harvick was going for his fourth consecutive victory this week, had some trouble on the racetrack today, at Auto Club Speedway, we're going to discuss that, plus the mess that was qualifying at Auto Club Speedway. We're going to dive in that a little bit later as well, and take your phone calls at 917-889-8280. Also, we'll talk some Xfinity Series racing. They're off for a couple of weeks before they go to Texas Motor Speedway uh, for their next event in April. But again, it's 917-889-8280. We're recapping the Auto Club 400, and again, it was Martin Truex Jr. up front. He was your winner. He led 125 of the 200 laps today at Auto Club Speedway. Kyle Larson finished second. Kyle Busch was third. Brad Keselowski fourth. Joey Logano was fifth. Denny Hamlin sixth. Eric Jones was seventh. Eighth was Ryan Blaney. Ninth, Jimmy Johnson. And tenth was Austin Dillon. Uh, But the story of the day, John, no doubt about it, was uh, Martin Truex Jr. He had a a solid, solid day, a great run, lapped up to the 10th place car. Only 10 cars when leading on the lead lap at the end of the race, won by about eight seconds, uh, was in his own zip code there at the end, a dominant, dominant performance, something we see, saw from this team a year ago uh, on, on a frequent basis on a mile and a half tracks. Um, as soon as Harvick went out, you know, it was either him or Kyle Busch, and it turned out to be Truex going to victory lane. What were your thoughts on Martin Truex Jr.'s dominant performance today at Auto Club Speedway? Well, I think we've talked about it. We were expecting a a performance like this out of Martin Truex Jr. sooner or later. It was a matter of how much it was the downsizing at Furniture Row Racing to one car, how much of not having another crew chief to bounce ideas off of. But we knew that team was solid. We knew Cole Pern would figure it out. And I think one of the big keys to Martin Truex Jr. was Friday. He was able to get through qualifying. And Cole Pert and that team has had struggles at times making it through pre-qualifying inspection, and they wound up making it through, winning the poll, and showing that they had speed. And I wonder how much of it they kept something up their sleeve, because if you look throughout the weekend, Harvick dominated everything. He won the first practice. He set a track record on the second round of qualifying and bobbled on the final round. Harvick had the best 10-lap averages in both practices on uh, Saturday, and everybody was pointing to Harvick as being the person to beat, even though he lost Friday. And I think one of the things that was interesting was Barney Visser's comments after uh, Harvick went out, and he was sort of like ticked off because they really wanted to judge themselves off what Harvick does for a full race. And they didn't really get that chance. And they really thought Harvick might have been something that they would have had to battle with if he didn't get in the accident in stage one with Kyle Larson. And But Martin Truex Jr. is like, hey, we came off the pits at the same time, and I pulled away from him. And I had all the confidence in the world in this car. If you think about looking at the way the race set up, it was Martin Truex Jr. or Kyle Busch almost the whole race. 
They led 187 of the 200 laps. So there's 13 laps that were pretty much um, pit stop transitions or anything like that where somebody led the race. Kyle Larson was second and never led a lap. So it basically said the Toyotas are back, and it's always been Truex or Bush. And Harvick this year has been in his own zip code at times. He sort of cost himself today of what what he could have been. But everybody else is like a half a step behind. Yeah, it was. Uh, there's no doubt. I think it was a Toyota sort of a statement for Toyota today to say, "Hey, you got, remember us? You guys remember us? Sure, the talk's been all about Ford, but Truex hasn't had a bad year either. I think he's finished in a top five, four to five races so far this year. Um, he just hasn't been as dominant as he's been, you know, for the first four races this year as he was in 2017. And you know, this was his first stage when he won both stages. As you said, he got the pole, got through qualifying, took the pole, won both stages." And then won the race. So he did everything he uh, came out to accomplish today, got those seven points, did a great job, and, and went on to victory. I mean, that team, that 78 team made a statement today that, hey, you know what? Kevin Harvick won the first, won three straight races. The first two really, the first three, uh, the first two, I should say, mile and a half tracks, cookie cutter tracks per se at Atlanta and Las Vegas. But when it came time to California push and shove, Martin Truex Jr. went out and won it. And it brings up an interesting point of what would have happened if Harvick stayed in the race um, because he was so good, like you said, during practice and during qualifying, Harvick was even strong. Um, but, you know, Truex was in his own zip code at the end of that race. I think he won by eight seconds. Like I said earlier, uh, only 10 cars finished on the lead lap. He was flying. And uh, I don't know if, if there was a car in the field that could have had anything for that 78 so it would have been very, very interesting to see, um, but there's no doubt Truex, uh, certainly at the end of the race with the cars that were there, was the dominant guy. Uh, Kyle Larson, uh, listen, this is a kid who who runs well at these places. You know, he, he's a good race car driver. Um, he won at California last season, came here, rallied back for a second-place finish, uh, a nice job for that 42 car. And he, again, again, you know, we talked about the statement for Toyota because Bush ran very well, and, and so did uh, Truex. But Kyle Larson and this 42 team made a statement today, too, where, yeah, we didn't get the win, but don't forget about us either because we went up there, we passed the 18, which was a strong car all day, and we finished second. And they, they're going to be a force to be reckoned with all year as well. Yeah, I think uh, Kyle Larson is going to be a force to be reckoned with all year long. He does great on the two-mile tracks. He won the last four races on two-mile tracks coming into California this weekend. Um, and he finished second. He did pass Bush on that final run. Bush said they made an adjustment that just fell flat, and it wound up giving Larson the uh, the hole he needed to get past Bush to finish in second place. But, I mean, like I said, there's Kyle Bush, there's Martin Truex Jr., there's Kevin Harvick right now. Everybody else is still about a half step behind. Larson even admitted it. We still have some work to do. Um, it was good that we passed Kyle Bush to get second place, but we weren't in the same zip code Truex was. You win by eight seconds. You you don't even see the winner cross the finish line if you're eight seconds behind. And that means there's still some work to do, but Kyle Larson and Chad Johnson and that team at Chip Ganassi racing have climbed a long way from the minute they got together. Um, Larson was always the talent that wasn't, that we didn't know if was going to happen until they paired the two of them. They've run great together. And I think they're going to have a crap storm because Larson does not do well at Martinsville next week. But, I mean, it's something to build off of. So, whenever they get to Texas, they might be able to keep in the top five with Bush, Lars, I mean, Bush, Truex, and uh, Harvick whenever they get to Texas in a couple weeks. 
I think the most encouraging thing for this 42 team has been they have been the most consistent as far as speed goes Chevrolet team all year long. And there's no doubt. I think the Chevrolet teams, uh, when they get back from this West Coast, they were looking for the end of this West Coast swing because I'm sure they've learned a lot, especially in a mile and a half to two mile tracks, to put into their new Camaros where they didn't have the chance, I don't think, because of this West Coast swing to change from one race to the next. Um, you know, those cars are already probably pre-built, and uh, the changes they they have to make, uh, they're going to have to make in a shop. They got a week off after Martinsville for the Easter holiday as well, um, where they can infuse these cars and, and, and take what they've learned in the West Coast swing and, and, you know, put them into their race cars. So I think that's huge for Chevrolet. And for Larson, you know, yeah, they're off, but to be the second best car as far as finishing is concerned – out there today, um, that that's a that's a positive step, and it makes you wonder what's going to happen when they do figure this Chevrolet Camaro out. They might be the best Chevrolet team there is, and then then they're going to really be your force to be reckoned with. But a, a solid day, you know, um, even though you don't have the best car, to finish second is is a a very good accomplishment for that 42 team. We mentioned Kyle Busch in third. You talked about it. Uh, they made an adjustment that didn't agree with that 18 at the end. He finished in a third spot. Brad Kozlowski and Joey Logano finished fourth and fifth. Um, consistent year for these guys. They've kind of been there all year long. They haven't had the speed of the of Harvick. Uh, they haven't had the speed of, of the Toyota teams, really. We haven't really seen them lead a lot of laps this year. Logano led a little bit today. Um, but, you know, when push came to shove, uh, Truex got around him. But a decent day for those guys out of Team Penske. They just seem to be a, a half a step behind the, the, the top echelon team right now as far teams right now as far as uh, speed goes. But not a terrible day for Team Penske. Brad Kislowski, Joe Logano also. Uh, Ryan Blaney finished in the uh, eighth position. He hit the wall early in the middle of the stages of the event. Uh, went back, lost the lap. He battled all the way back and finished eighth. So not the day Blaney wanted. But I think when you look at it and say, hey, we hit the wall today, and, we, and if you told them before the race that you, they were going to hit the wall, and uh, if you told them they were still going to finish eighth, they would have taken it. So they take it, get a nice, decent point, stay out of it, and they move on to Martinsville. But not a bad day for Team Penske. They just seem speed-wise, John, just a wee bit behind uh, the, the top teams right now. Yeah, I mean, one of the things you're going to find out, and we've all seen throughout the years, any Roger Penske-owned organization – if they're close, they're going to keep getting better. Uh, last year was one of those years that was really tough to explain because Joey Logano's team after the penalty at Richmond just wasn't the same. They never recovered from it. And they seemed like they were always fighting to get to where they were respectable the rest of the season. I think it's like they were trying to make up for it every race and just couldn't ever wrap their arms around what was missing. Uh, this year... They're a little wee bit behind, but it's a little wee bit. And the way this sport evolves, I mean, that little wee bit could end up being something they find in that off week between Martinsville and going to Texas, and they could come out and smoke the place for the next four weeks. Um, it's very encouraging the way Team Penske's running. Yet um, all three cars would be qualified for the playoffs if it started today, as would Paul Menard. Uh, all four Stuart Haas cars would be in the playoffs today if the playoffs started today. Um, the one thing we keep looking at is where's Hendrick Motorsports. Well, you said Kyle Larson 
uh, a few minutes ago was the is the most consistent Chevy right now. He was the most consistent Chevy most of last year. Uh, he always had the most speed. He had a couple, and when the playoffs came around, he had a couple blown engines and a couple uh, mistakes that came down the pipeline. But Larson was always the one you talked about last year when it came to Chevy. I think this week it was encouraging that Jimmy Johnson pulled out a top 10 finish, but the other three Hendrick cars were a lap down plus. And I don't know. I mean, it's one of those things. We hope that um, whenever they get that week off uh, for Easter and everybody's in the shop, re-looking at these Chevys to see how they can make the Camaros better. Hopefully there's some notes that were figured out that they can go and either cut the bodies off and rebuild something or whatever it takes. But right now, Hendrick Motorsports would only have one car in the playoffs, and that car is Alex Bowman. Yeah, that's crazy, especially because of Chase Elliott's penalty this weekend. Knocked him down out of 16th. And not a great run for Chase Elliott. We'll dive into that a little bit later. Um, but the finish at the top 10, you talked about Johnson. You know, he finished in ninth, but the uh, sixth and seventh were Hamlin and Jones. They were a little bit behind as well today. Um, Eric Jones had a solid day for most of the day, uh, finishing the top 10 in both stages, ended up seventh. Same thing with Hamlin. He ended up sixth. But Jimmy Johnson is an interesting character because, you know, this was the first race all year long for that 48 team that they took home stage points. Uh, a fifth place finish in stage one, a seventh place finish in stage two. They seemed to be better on the shorter runs. When that race got stretched out on a long green flag run, it seemed like the 48 just didn't have um, the speed in it as the other cars did. But again, you're le- this is learning a learning deal with this Chevrolet Camaro. Um, and this is a positive step in the right direction. I think when you look at this not this 48 car finishing ninth, you go, the bleeding has stopped. Yeah, it's not what, what we're accustomed to seeing with this 48 car, but they had a tough week because it was announced that Lowe's is leaving at the end of the year. Um, and it's just been a real tough start to the season. A lot of people questioning whether Jimmy Johnson's too old. Um, so to kind of stop the bleeding and say, hey, you know what, we're going to finish in the top ten today, we'll take it, we'll swallow it, we'll, we'll take what we learned this weekend, put it into our cars at Texas and, and everything that's all the mile and a half going forward, um, and really make our cars better for the long run. I think that's what you could take away from this 48 team today. A solid day for Austin Dillon too, John. In a tenth spot, he was the the banner, the flagship team for Richard Childress Racing today, which struggled all day long. The 31 didn't have much speed. He ended up 21st, Ryan Newman. But a, a decent day for Austin Dillon. He was in the top 15 for most of the day, pulled out a top 10 finish. Um, so those two guys, Johnson and Dillon, at the end of the top 10, really needed good runs today, and they got it. Yeah, I think um, we talked last week at Phoenix about Dillon experimenting. And I think he's getting to the point, him and the uh, number three team for Richard Childress Racing have sort of looked at the way this place works and says, hey, even though Truex isn't winning races, he's getting stage points and getting top five finishes on a regular basis. Uh, Harvick's winning everything, so they're going to run away and hide if we don't get something going. We can't experiment too much. We are in the playoffs, but if you start in the playoffs, even with the win, but everybody has, I mean, you look last year, Truex had enough stage points that we almost could pencil him into Homestead as soon as the playoffs started. And if you're so far behind, you have to win a race or something crazy to make sure you end up progressing throughout the rounds. And if you build those stage points up, you can almost coast a little more. And all you have to do is make sure you bring your stuff home. For sure. And I think, um, you know, that's what you have to do if you want to be a, playoff contender and a championship contender is 
run very good all year, get as high as you can in the points, because those playoff points that you're going to earn uh, are, are huge, no doubt about it. 917-889-8280, Talking Circles. Clayton Cotal, John Harlow here. We're recapping the Auto Club 400 on Talking Circles tonight. Uh, 11th spot went to Clint Boyer. Then it was Eric Amarola in 12th. Alex Bowman, 13th. Kurt Busch, 14th. William Byron, 15th. Chase Elliott, 16th. 17th was Jamie McMurray. Ricky Stenhouse Jr., Paul Menard, and Bubba Wallace rounded out the top 20. Uh, Stuart Haas Racing had four four cars in the race today. We know about Harvick. We'll touch on that a, li- a little bit later with that whole accident and everything. But, um, you know, for finishing all four cars in the top five last week, or in the top ten last week, excuse me, uh, the highest Stuart Haas Racing car this weekend was Boyer in 11th, and it was Amarola and Kurt Busch. So a little bit of a disappointing day. I think if you told Stuart Haas Racing they weren't going to have one car finish in the top 10, they would look at it and say, eesh, not a great day. Um, not a terrible day. I don't think you should, it's anything to be worried about. But the speed for those three cars, those four cars really, just weren't as good as it was earlier in, in the season at Las Vegas and Atlanta. Um, what were your thoughts on Stuart Haas Racing today? Boyer, a decent day, but and, and same thing with Amarola. But Kurt Busch, you could be a little bit disappointed about in 14th, I think. I don't think it was as good as it was earlier in the weekend. Something just didn't click today. Um, if you look at the first practice going into qualifying, it was one, two, three, Harvick, Boyer, Almirola, and Kurt Busch was like seventh. So everybody's expecting Stuart Haas Racing to qualify in the top ten, all four of them. And then Harvick, I mean, excuse me, uh, Boyer and Almirola never even made it onto the track to try qualifying. So they were behind the eight ball as it was. Um, I think just something just didn't click today. I mean, they had speed in the cars when they ran in practice Friday. They had speed in the car when they ran in practice Saturday. And then today, just something didn't click. Yeah, it just seemed like they were a little bit off today, no doubt about that. Um, you know, I think when you look at Bowman in 13th and Byron in 200 Motorsports cars in 15th, you look at it and say that's kind of what you expect. They're still learning out there. You know, Byron, Bowman was gone for a year. Byron's in, Byron's in his rookie season. So I think you say top 15 should take it again. Um, when you look at it, you say, okay, you know, take what we learned and, and, and put it into our cars for Texas and stuff like that. Um, but I, I tell you where I'd be a little bit concerned if I was Hendrick Motorsports was Chase Elliott's run today. I know it's one week. He finished in a 16th spot today. Um, but when you think about what happened last week and they had a, a penalty in the rear end, um, they did not run good at all. Uh, he didn't finish in the top 10 in any stages. Uh, 16th is not going to get it done. It just seemed like he, you know, on one restart, Chase Elliott lost some track position, fell out of the top 10, and was never able to get it back. Um, and that's a little concerning, I think, just from the fact that, you know, if something went wrong, you could say, okay, you know what, that stuff happens. But they just didn't run very good today. And you have to wonder if that penalty was bigger than what we think it was. Now, I know it's only one weekend, and you say, well, it's one weekend, we'll see. Um, but they're coming off a weekend where they, like I said, they kind of got a little bit with their rear end, was a little bit messed up. They didn't have their car chief today. Um, a little bit of a disappointing run for Chase Elliott, no doubt about it, John, in 16th. Well, and add on top of that, Chase Elliott didn't get to qualify. Mm-hmm. So they were behind the eight ball trying to make sure that the car was able to pass inspection before the race. I think they were doing more massaging on the car to get it through the OSS and they were worried about how it was going to run on the track. Cause if you don't get it through OSS, you're not running. And I think they had to spend a lot of time to make sure they got it on the OSS. And I think it was really interesting that Scott Miller 
uh, after qualifying on Friday night, was talking about the uh, 12, 13 cars that did not make it through qualifying. And he said a lot of the issues was the rear window. Huh. Mm. Wonder where that cause came from. Thank you, Reddit. Yeah. Thank you, Chase Elliott's radio. Um, that we're having this big headache. And you think about it, NASCAR gives them three hours to get through qualifying. I mean, get through pre-qualifying inspection. There's three-hour window to get through that. And when you only have 12 cars pass it the first time, that puts a big time crunch onto everything. And you're beating and banging on the car trying to get it past the OSS so you can go out there and qualify. And you may end up causing something that you never expected by trying to adjust to get it through the window that you needed to get it in. And you may cause something messed up somewhere else in the car, which is going to totally throw you off for the weekend because there's something that wasn't expected there. Yeah, no doubt about it. I think um, it, it, you don't, when you, you know, when these teams plan these weekends out, they plan to run qualifying, they plan to get it through and have a big plan. And when stuff like that happens, I think it messes up your plans a little bit. Although it wasn't the worst thing in the world because originally they thought they were going to have new tires compared to everybody else who qualified, but that wasn't the case. Uh, and we'll discuss that a little bit later on in the show. Chase Elliott, by the way, sits 21st in the standings. Uh, a little bit, you know, through five races again. And I like to do this because this is, you know, reality. If you told everybody before the year that Chase Elliott through five races was going to be 21st in points, I think everybody would have said, come on, that's ridiculous. They're not going to have that bad of a year. Well, here they are, 21st in the standings. I know a penalty helped that a lot, but still not running uh, as crisp as they would like. And, and two accidents helped that as well at Daytona and, and Las Vegas. But uh, still not a great start to the season for the nine car over there at Chase Elliott. Jim McMurray was 17th. Um, you know, McMurray's had a, had a disappointing year so far, I think. Um, you know, Stenhouse was 18th, 19th was Pulmonard, and Daryl Wallace 20th. But McMurray right now sits 26th in the standings. His teammate, Kyle Larson, uh, sits 7th. You know, and uh, he, I know he missed pit road trying to get the pit road. He slowed down, and I think there was a car around him. He felt like he was going to crash under a green flag stop, so that really hurt McMurray. Um, but still, you know, the 42 has shown some speed here all year long. Um, like I said, they've been the most consistent Chevrolet team for most of the season, and you would like to see – you would expect that that speed would be in McMurray's car as well. Um, and him being 26th in the standings and not a great run today – a little bit disappointing, I think, for McMurray today to go out and finish 17th. Um, and like I said, 26th in the standings. Uh, not a good year. Not a good start to the year for Jimmy McMurray right now. Yeah, I think uh, Jimmy McMurray and them were trying to do a strategy where they tried to run five, seven, ten laps longer than everybody else. Whenever uh, Truex was splitting stages for his pit stops coming in at lap 30, and McMurray was trying to eke it out to 35, 37, and the one time he did come in to try to come into pit road. I mean, he was surrounded by cars who were on new tires and were flying by him and he just got loose. And I think if he would have tried to come into pit road, he would have spun the thing out. So he just kept going and wound up losing more places and more speed off of it. I think it was just not a good day for Jamie McMurray. It's not been a good season so far for Jamie McMurray. And I can't put a finger on it. It's one of those things you see. Uh, we've seen it throughout NASCAR, there's usually one car with an organization that just can't find it. 
we've seen it with Stuart Haas Racing last year with Danica. We've seen it at Hendrick Motorsports in the past. Casey Kane couldn't find it when Jeff Gordon and or Chase Elliott and Jimmy Johnson, the other teams at Hendrick Motorsports found their way to get to um, top fives, top tens, victory lane, and Casey Kane was struggling to finish 15th or 20th. Uh, you've seen that throughout the times with different uh, teams and different drivers. I think this year, Jamie McMurray, and he's always been a little bit behind uh, Larson. It just hasn't been as pronounced as it is this year. Yeah, yeah I agree. And I think that team is really going to need to pull off some good runs here in the next few weeks if they want to be a serious chase contender because McMurray hasn't won a race in a long, long time. Uh, and you don't want to get too far back in the points to where you're not going to make these this play these playoffs, I should say. Um, so, I, you know, they're going to have to start pulling off some good runs here if they want to be in serious playoff contention for that uh, number one team. Paul Menard was 19th. He banged it off the wall. Salvaged a decent day in 19th. Um, you know, not obviously what they expected, but when you bounce it off the wall, you know, just to kind of continue and, and finish one lap down and get a top 20, you'll take it. Uh, Darrell Wallace Jr., give him credit. You know, he didn't have a top 20 car. All, I don't think he was in a top 20 all race until the very, very end. He finished 20th, so good job by him. Ryan Newman struggled all day, finished 21st, got a little bit of a mishap with Trevor Bain. Uh, he pulled, basically looked like he came up and pushed the sixth car into the wall. Two laps later, Bain blew right front tire, hit the outside wall, and, and you know, uh, Bain was out done for the day, finished 37th, dead last for him. Uh, and as we go through the rest of the field here, you know, you look at A.J. Allmendinger in 22nd, Daniel Suarez, 23rd. Suarez had a tough day. Um, you know, wasn't very fast. The lone Joe Gibbs racing-affiliated car outside the top 10, and he finished 23rd, sped on pit road towards the end of the race on a final pit stop as well. That didn't help his, his chances today. So a 23rd-place run for him. Casey Kane in 24th. Um, you know, it's, it's going to be a long year over there at, at uh, Levine Family. If you're a Casey Kane fan, you know, you got to take the short tracks, and that's going to be good. Uh, the places where he can run good, uh, not a, but not a great day either for him. David Reagan, 25th, he he hit the wall, finished 25th. Uh, Michael McDowell, 26th, another disappointing day for Ty Dillon in 27th. Then it was Cole Witt, Ross Chastain, Chris Busher in 30th. Busher had a top 20 day going until he sped on pit road at the, with 10 laps to go and blew right front tire. Actually, blew right front tire, then sped on pit road, so it was a double whammy at the end of his his day uh it really took away what was a solid weekend for that uh 37 team for most of the weekend d benedetto got in the wall as well he finished 31st and it was greg golding timmy hill reed Sorensen, kevin harvick in 35th jeffrey earnhardt and trevor bain and 37th rounded out the field um harvick obviously is a guy who stands out in the positions 21 through 37 tough day going for his fourth consecutive victory uh what were your thoughts on that accident with kyle larson uh, 39 laps in, they're running for, I think it was third or fourth position there. And it looked like to me, Harvick came down. I don't know if he was frustrated. He said he was trying to side draft at 42 and just misjudged a little bit. That back straightaway is a little bit unpredictable because you got so many bumps and it's so bumpy back there uh, that he made contact with, with the 42 car. And then he got sent to the outside wall and finished uh, 35th. They were able to continue, but finished 35th. What were your thoughts on that wreck with Larson there, John? Well, I think it was phenomenal that Harvick and his team were able to uh, fix the damage and keep it to where they were driving minimum speed and able to keep going. Um, I think if you listen to Harvick, he has no reason to BS anybody. He said he was trying to side draft in the position they were in. Larson was a had a few lap pressure tires, but Harvick was better on a long run than uh, Larson was. 
So Harvick was probably thinking if I can side draft him, uh, kill his momentum and keep him behind me, if I can hold him back for another couple laps, I'll be able to pull away from him on the longer run. But Lars, I mean, Chad Johnson said flat off um, he had no business racing that hard that early. But I think it's one of those things. It's like Harvick's got three wins and two of them that count toward the playoffs. He's going to try to win everything he can. And he's at the point where all he has to do is finish in the top 30 in points the rest of the season. And it's checkers or wreckers for Kevin Harvick the rest of the season. I'll almost bet on it. It's a good point. And, you know, you want to get right now his his option, though, his idea is to get as many stage points as he possibly can, get as many playoff points as he possibly can. So he's got to run good and be consistent. You know, we saw that with Truex last year. Why he was a lock to get into Homestead was the fact that he won the regular season championship and got all the stage points on top of that. So, yeah, you know, you might look at it and say, well, it's not that big of a deal. But right now, as you said, he sits eighth in the standing. So he's not going to get as many playoff points by being – uh, eighth in points as he would if he finished fifth or fourth or even won the champion uh, regular season championship. So he's got to keep that in mind there as you go forward. Yeah, you want you want to figure out what you're going to have and, and get your cars as good as you possibly can for the playoffs. But those playoff points are going to be huge, as we saw last year with Truex. They're going to be huge to get through these rounds here, uh, and they carry over. So just keep that in mind as the season goes on with that four team. No doubt about it. I think when you look at the standings, though, there's a few – you know, as we talked about earlier, there's a few people who kind of stand out to you that have struggled this year. McMurray in 26th, Trevor Baines 27th, Casey Kane's 29th in the point standings, and Ty Dillon is 31st. Um, you know, Ty Dillon, this was a, a – he's had a real tough first three five races. This was a season where I think a lot of people expected him to, okay, he's got a year under his belt with this 13 car. They got Matt Borland in there, got rid of Booty Barker. Um, you know, Matt Borland, a guy from RCR, they got a, a – a strong affiliation with Richard Childress Racing, and Ty Dillon sits 31st in a standing. So um, that's a team that I expect that I expect to be running a little bit better than what they are right now. Um, and K- like I said, Casey Kane is 29th. You don't see, you know, he hasn't been great in the years past, but to see him that low in the standings is kind of surprising. So those two guys really stick out when you look at the point standings here, John. After five races. Well, one of the things people were probably thinking with Casey Kane going to Levine Family Racing, if you really think about it, Rick Hendrick is still paying Casey Kane's salary. But you saw the difference between Clint Boyer, even from the demise of Michael Waltrip Racing, going from there to H. Scott Motorsports at the time. And there's no engineering. There's no um, uh, wind tunnel time. There's no... Uh, simulation going on. I think Casey Kane, there's a big difference between Hendrick Motorsports and Levine Family Racing. And a driver can only make up so much. Um, The exception to the rule was Kurt Busch when he did it for uh, uh, James Finch whenever they were running over there. And Kurt Busch helped put the 78 in the position they're in because it was the first time that the 78 had ever seen the playoffs. And it was the first time that the 78 had ever seen consistency. Um, so Kurt Busch is a little different than most people. Casey Kane isn't the um, engineering wizard or being able to explain the car the way Kurt Busch does. Uh, that's one of the things Kurt Busch has always been great at. He can explain everything with the car, how it feels, where it's feeling, uh, where it's loose, 
Casey Kane, it just doesn't seem like he's ever been able to do that. If Casey Kane was in great equipment, he could run fast. I mean, you saw what he did with Ray Evernham. And the thing was, I think Ray Evernham was able to translate whoever to Kenny Francis or whoever was on the box for him at the time. I think Ray Evernham could listen and translate to Kenny what was going on. But then whenever they went to Hendrick Motorsports, same group, better equipment, and they just couldn't do it. So I think not having Ray Evernham there to translate for Casey Kane hurt him. And Casey Kane driving for Levine Family Racing is like um, me and you driving to Hendrick Motorsports, me Johnson. Yeah, it's interesting. And, and I've said this about Kane in years past, and I'm going to keep saying this. He's such an interesting driver to me because, man, when he was at Red Bull Racing, he performed. He was the best driver there. I mean, even when Brian Vickers, who I think Brian Vickers has a lot of talent, um, and he, you know, obviously unfortunate what happened with his career. But, you know, when he was at Red Bull, he was really good. He won a race, I think it was Phoenix at the end of the year, and at the end of that year, he looked like he was ready to take off. And had he stayed at Red Bull, I think if that team stayed together, he would have, he might have been okay. He might have really taken that team to the next level. But he was already signed at Hendrick Motorsports, won four races there in the first couple of years, uh, first year there. And then all of a sudden it fell apart, and he hasn't really been able to rebound. Whether it's the race car that doesn't fit his style or what it is, um, you know, it was – Tough, and he's one of the most more pop. He was one of the more popular drivers on the circuit. You know, I knew I knew a lot of Casey Kane fans, so um, to see him kind of down here is, is is surprising. I think Levine family is a team that had a pretty good year last year with Michael McDowell and um, you know uh, Todd Parrott as crew chief. They got Travis Mack there, a Hendrick Motorsports guy. They got an affiliation with Hendrick Motorsports. They still use RCR engines, um, but you know this is going to be a long process for this team. I think if Kane wants to be here, this is a long term project. You know, figure out what you want to do here. Get this team underneath you. I think you're going to see this team maybe perform pretty well at track like Martinsville. Kane's very good at Richmond. Uh, I think you might see him do pretty well at Richmond as well, where uh, the aerodynamics and the engineering isn't quite as uh, prevalent at, at the shorter tracks as it is at, um, you know, the, the mile-and-a-half, two-mile tracks that we see on for the majority of the schedule. Uh, so it could be a tough year until we get to those tracks for Casey Kane. I think you're right, absolutely right on that one, John. 917-889-8280. Talking circles, Clayton Caudill, John Harlow. Friday was an interesting day at Auto Club Speedway. Qualifying, only uh, 24 cars actually took a lap during qualifying. Um, 13 cars did not make it through inspection um, for one reason or another. Most of them were Chevrolet teams. When you look at the, at the uh, order, um, most of them were Chevrolet teams. There was only two Toyota teams that didn't get through. Uh, three toy, yeah, two Toyota teams that didn't get through, and then uh, I think two fours with Boyer and Amarola. The rest of rest of them were Chevrolets. Uh, all four hundred motorsports cars, as you mentioned, didn't get through. Um, so, what were your thoughts on this whole fiasco? I guess it was in qualifying. And at the time we were watching qualifying, John, it, it looked like these teams in the back that, that were going to fail qualifying um, were going to be on fresher tires because NASCAR has the rule that you have to use the tires that you qualified with in the race. You have to start the race on those tires. So it looked like the guys who failed qualifying, who failed inspection, I should say, um, we're going to be at a, at a really big advantage because the tire fall off at, at auto club speedway is massive. So, uh, NASCAR changed that rule on Saturday, late Friday night, early Saturday morning, I believe it was officially announced, um, that they were going to give the teams that qualified 
a fresh set of tires that they could use to start the race on, which they did. Um, so that kind of equaled things out. But what were your thoughts on that whole uh, fiasco on Friday at qualifying at Auto Club Speedway? I think there's too many inspections whenever it comes to these cars. I think there should be, if anything, if they're going to do three inspections, it should be before they take the track for the first practice, you have to pass tech. And then pre-race and post-race, if they're going to do three. And post-race needs to be done at the track, not at the R&D center. Um, one of the things you pointed out to me earlier, the tweet from Bob Pockris, is one of the things they're looking at doing is adjusting the uh, inspection process. Actually, there's a tolerance, and everybody's pushing that tolerance as much as they can. They were even speculating Friday how much of the tolerance may have gotten out of whack transporting these cars across the country or how hot it was in there, and it could have um, made the pavement hot and it ended up sinking certain spots of things. And I mean, the temperature at the track, the driving of the cars across the country, everybody was speculating that that could have been part of the reason that these 13 cars did not pass qualify, I mean, pass inspection prior to qualifying. No, the reason these uh, 13 cars did not pass inspection prior to qualifying is there is a limit, and then there is a tolerance of how much you may or may not be able to adjust to the limit, or we'll let you go. But there is a line that says, like, if you have to have um, your skew can only be one one-thousandth of an inch, or two one-thousandths of an inch, everybody's cars at two one thousandths of an inch so they're at the edge of being out of inspection to begin with instead of being where the rule book is i think nascar ought to just go back to okay this is the rule there's no tolerance if you let them build in the tolerance they're going to be out of whack to begin with if you tear down these cars and say okay this is what the rule says you're not going to find hardly any car at the rule book. They're going to all be in the tolerance because they know what they can get away with. So they're going to try to push that envelope as far as they can. This isn't NASCAR's problem. Well, it's partially NASCAR's problem because they put a tolerance in there and let them know what the tolerance is. The other part is I think it's on these teams. There's a rule book. The for example, if you're pitching in baseball, the mound is 60 feet, 6 inches from home plate. You're not going to stand up there at 50, at 60 feet, 3 inches and try to throw a ball because they're going to call a balk on you. It's the same thing when it comes to NASCAR. If your tolerance is A, I mean, if your rule book says A is where you can be, and the tolerance is A plus .50 whatever, don't tell them what the tolerance is. Tell them what the rule is, and if they go to the tolerance, say, okay, we let them through, but here's the rule. Don't give them wiggle room because they're going to take advantage of every second of it and try every quarter thousandth of an inch of it and try to get more. Yeah, I agree. And I think, you know, I, I heard a lot of fans on Twitter and on social media kind of pointing their blame at NASCAR for this. And, let me say this, say this before I, I say what my opinion on those fans are. I do think the rule book is too tight. Um, I think it would be awesome if we opened up the rule and let these crew chiefs 
you know, sort of show their, their brains a little bit and, and have the ingenuity they used to have, be able to have in these race cars. But with that being said, um, there's, to me, you know, that's, that hasn't changed yet. And until it does, you know, you should follow the rules. And the penalties shouldn't, uh, you know, you should get penalties if you don't follow the rules. Just like, you know, if, if I don't do what I'm supposed to do at work, I get a penalty for it. Or if I don't do what I do on a road, I get a penalty for it, kind of, that kind of thing. Um, so, yeah, I think when you look at it, you say, hey, um, there should be a penalty for teams that don't pass inspection. Now, I give NASCAR credit because I think they they made the right call. And, again, I saw people on, on social media this week say that NASCAR shouldn't be changing rules in the middle of the race weekend. But to me, they couldn't go through this weekend and let these cars that failed post uh, pre-qualifying inspection and not make a lap have an advantage over the cars that qualified. You could not do that. Uh, I don't care what it took. I don't care if they changed the rules. They could not do that and, and look at people in the face and say that that's the right thing to do because it just doesn't make any sense. I'm not a fan of qualifying on the same tire, on racing on the same tires we qualified on. I, I'm not a fan of that. I just don't think it makes much sense. I don't understand the point behind it, but it is what it is. Um, so at the end of the day, I think NASCAR made the right move there uh, as far as giving the teams the tires and everything. But again, the teams n- know the rules. They've, they've had all year long to, to all off season, I should say, to get into NASCAR's tolerances. They, they were able to go to the uh, optical scanning system and NASCAR's R&D center and, and put their cars through. And if they passed and figure out what they wanted to do, for some reason, it was an issue this weekend. Um, so it was interesting that I think a lot of teams were kind of surprised by NASCAR letting the teams have the tires. Uh, Kyle Busch said he didn't think that the teams did it intentionally, that they were failing inspection intentionally so they could have fresh tires at the rear of the field and work their way up through. I don't know, um, you know, if, if that's something that happened. But isn't it interesting, John, how when NASCAR put the rule and told the Xfinity Series teams before qualifying, hey, listen, if you fail post-race inspection, not only will you start in the rear, but you're going to have to do a pass-through penalty uh, on, the, on lap one of the race under green flag if you fail inspection, pre-qualifying inspection, and don't make a lap of qualifying. Isn't it funny how every single car passed inspection? Oh, yeah. I, and You and I were talking pre-show. I said one of the other things they could do, especially at a place like California or Atlanta or Darlington or places like that, take away a set of tires. Everybody is screaming for fresh rubber the minute they bolt those four babies, those four good years on. Before they're off pit road, they need new tires. And you take away a set of tires, and you're a solid contending team, and you're getting down to with 30 laps to go, and you don't have a set of good years to bolt on when that caution comes out, and everybody else does you've relegated yourself to a 25th place finish. Um, I really believe that NASCAR made the right call. And Joey Logano talked about it after the Xfinity race on Saturday. He said, last year we failed inspection at California. And he said, we started tail end Charlie and we were 11th four laps into the race. And he said, there were cars starting 25th today with fresh rubber, they would have been in the top five in the first five laps because they would have had new rubber. And I think NASCAR made the right call with that. 
Yeah, because most of the cars they were going to pass were cars that they would have gotten around easily. I mean, uh, you know, the smaller teams like Ray Galding, who passed inspection, and Reed Sorensen, and those teams. Um, so, yeah, you're right. And don't you think teams would have noticed that, John? You know, if Logano knows, I think most of the teams would have taken a look at that and said, huh, I'm sure teams noticed it from last year and put that in the back of their mind saying, hmm, fresh rubber means that much here in California. So it is curious to see if that's what under the team's mind. And again, like I said earlier, Xfinity teams were told before qualifying, if you don't get through in qualifying inspection and don't make a lap, you're going to have to do a pass-through penalty under green. And every single Xfinity series car passed inspection. Isn't that funny? Um, what, what else, you know, what can be done to this? I mean, uh, Martinsville is going to be a little bit different. Pockris just tweeted out um, that the inspection process for next week will be uh, after the truck race. So if you don't pass, you will start in the rear. There won't be any pre-qualifying tech per se. That's what the crew chiefs are being told right now. Um, I also read Pockris earlier this week saying that he feels that NASCAR should do qualifying like they do the race. Take the top 12 and inspect them at the end of qualifying. Take a few randoms after the top 12 and inspect them. And if somebody fails, take then you could take uh, put them in the rear and make them do a pass-through penalty instead of having the fiasco that was this weekend um, at, t- at Article of Speedway. What are your thoughts? Uh, what can be done to sort of change this? Because this isn't a good look. I think NASCAR sort of embarrassed how it all went down, with, and they had to change the rule in the middle of the week. What can be done here to sort of change this process uh, in qualifying here, John? I think they should, if they're going to do it this way and they have to have an inspection on Friday before qualifying, I think they should have an inspection before they touch the track. And if they pass inspection to start the day, they can make their adjustments or whatever, but they are a, a inspected car. They have passed inspection. They get to practice instead of having the first practice on Friday and then everybody's trying to make sure they make it through tolerance to get through inspection in a crammed amount of time. You should you should roll that car off the truck able to pass inspection. The, I mean, you should build that car. It should be able to pass inspection rolling off the truck. If you roll off the truck, go through inspection, you're allowed to practice, you're allowed to qualify. If you can't get through inspection – what practice you want until you can practice until you qualify and if you don't qualify and you don't pass inspection before qualifying take a set of tires away send the car chief home start at the rear of the field and start with a pass-through penalty you watch and see how many people can pass qualifying inspection the minute they roll off the truck yeah listen Again, I, I and I hate to harp on this, but it's just so interesting to me. I don't think it's that the Xfinity Series teams uh, aren't pushing the limits as much as the Cup Series teams. It's just when they got threatened with that pass-through penalty under green flag, I think teams went, okay, they're not playing around anymore. Um, the penalty needed to be a little bit more severe. I think the drivers and teams agreed with that. NASCAR, I think, uh, got they got the message this weekend, no doubt about it, because, again, it doesn't. it's not a good look to sort of look – Silly, and they looked a little silly this weekend on Friday, no doubt, because uh, they it just kind of looked like, okay, well, what are they going to do? That was a big story. That only uh, that 13 cars didn't qualify. It looked kind of silly, and and uh, it made it almost a mockery out of qualifying at Auto Club Speedway. So um, we'll see. I'm sure there'll be something announced probably by Wednesday. Our next Talking in Circles uh, podcast here. I'm sure there'll be something announced to change the the way they qualify. 
Um, and it's going to be as soon as they possibly can, probably at Martinsville, if not Texas, in a couple of weeks. 917-889-8280. That's the number to dial here. If you want to talk to Clayton Caldwell and John Harlow here on Talking in Circles, we're discussing the whole weekend from Auto Club Speedway, uh, qualifying the Auto Club 400 we, we recapped earlier. And now we're going to recap the Roseanne 300 NASCAR Xfinity race from Auto Club Speedway this weekend. A race, and you want to think that the that the Cup race was dominated by a, a driver in Martin Truex Jr. It was, but Joe Logano put a whipping on the field. He led all but 11 laps on Saturday at an Auto Club Speedway in his count tire forward. He completely dominated. You know, on the last pit stop of the day, Joey Logano, with 29 laps to go, pitted uh, for four tires and gas. And I think the top 14 cars stayed out, so he restarted. 15th uh, when that race got the green flag and in three laps he had to lead again it just shows you how dominant that 22 car was how dominant Logano was um, and it was just a dominant performance like I said led all but 12 laps Elliot Sadler led four Allgaier led two Christopher Bell led four laps Ryan Sieg led a lap and that was it um, so a, a dominant performance by Logano uh, and you know this is a, one of those weekends where people are going to start saying and start you know banging that Cup drivers in Xfinity drum again. Uh, there was only two Cup drivers in the field, Joey Logano and Austin Dillon, and Joey Logano was the one that ended up dominating the race today uh, on Saturday. Well, the thing is, uh, the beat of Cup drivers coming down to Xfinity isn't so bad, but it's Joey Logano. If that was Kyle Busch that put that whipping on the field, he would have been screaming, hollering, everything. Um, and the thing is, Joey Logano is as much a cup driver and as much of a winning cup driver as Kyle Busch is. It just seems like Kyle Busch is the black hat and everybody would bitch and scream and moan that Kyle Busch came down and dominated the field the way he did. Um, the best thing about the Roseanne 300 is Roseanne didn't sing the anthem. Um, <laughs> everything else, we could have just basically said, okay, here's your check, Joey. Here's your trophy. There was no need to run the race because – it was a snooze fest. Yeah. And that's what these two mile tracks have. I mean, they have so many lanes where you can run and so many different opportunities to pass. The problem is, especially in the Xfinity series, it's junior motorsports, team Penske, Joe Gibbs racing. Once in a blue moon, you'll see a uh, RCR car come up there. But other than that, it's everybody else is fighting for 10th to 15th. And it doesn't matter if a driver's in the car. I mean, you know, Ryan Priest probably had a solid day. I haven't really looked to see where he finished up, but he's driving ninth. the 18 car. Ryan Priest finishes ninth. And Ryan Priest, he had a great run last year with Joe Gibbs. Didn't do anything driving for Johnny Davis the year before, but Ryan Priest has turned into a solid Xfinity driver in Joe Gibbs' equipment. I think it's yeah. a matter of the cup team's are the cup teams that have Xfinity mm-hmm. teams and everybody else is just hoping to be 15th. Yeah. And we'll get to the top 10 real quick from the Xfinity series. Logano was your winner. Justin Allgaier, who's had a really good year, John. He finished second. Elliot Sadler was third. Austin Dillon finished fourth. Daniel Hemrick was fifth. Then it was Cole Custer, Tyler Reddick, Matt Tift, Ryan Priest. And this was the story of the day for me. Ross Chastain finishing in JD Motorsports' car, finishing in 10th. And let me just say, uh, Ross Chastain 
didn't just luck into finishing 10th there. It wasn't like he had a good, strong run, put on fresh tires at the end, and passed 15 cars at the end and got the 10th. He uh, finished 9th in Stage 1, I think 11th in Stage 2. He was up there all day long, qualified 13th. That four car was fast on Saturday. And Chastain is a darn good little race car driver there for JD Motorsports. Does a great job every week. Far and away the best driver uh, and team in that, at that organization. Uh, that four car is every week. A, a solid, solid day, a, a day to be proud of. They, they should hold their heads high walking out of California Speedway on Saturday. should have held their heads high. A great run. I mean, think of the team CP. Uh, you know, a legionnaire and, and Spencer Gallagher at GMS Racing, they got a lot. They got uh, good money. They got a great truck series program, a decent Xfinity series program. They went out and beat them. Uh, Calig Racing uh, with Ryan Truex finished 12th. Uh, uh, Joe Gibbs Racing Car and Brandon Jones, he beat them. And uh, it was just an interesting day for the Xfinity Series. Sorry, I had technical issues there. Um, you know, uh, but, you know, it was, a, it was a great race for Ross Chastain and that, um, that team there. Yeah, I, I, I've always liked Ross Chastain. It's really something he can look forward to and something that they can take home. It's not a win but it's sort of it's not far from it for them being the uh small team that Johnny Davis is and they were the only non-cup affiliated team to finish into the top 10 on Saturday at California so that's something Ross Chastain and that group can be proud of um he's one of those guys who's not tough on equipment he's uh in the neighborhood all day long he usually is a 10th to 15th place car um doesn't he doesn't really draw attention to himself because he's ticking off uh, the cup drivers who come down. He's somebody who is working hard at his craft, trying to make it through, um, trying to grow himself to become a cup-level driver. And even when he's driving the cup car, driving that 15 car for premium motorsports, he's not embarrassing himself. He's not doing anything that would get him in trouble with the uh, Harvicks or the Jimmy Johnsons or the Brad Keselowskis. He's not making a name for himself for being a um, being a roadblock to anybody. If he sees somebody who's faster than them, he gets out of their way. If he's able to race with somebody, he's going to race with somebody. Yeah, no doubt. I think um, you know he sits 13th in the standings right now. And I think running that Cup Series car every week has helped him. Uh, he's running for the most part. I think every week this year so far in that 15 car, if not, he missed one race. But um, he's done a good job in that car, as you mentioned. I think he's a, uh, it's helping him learn the racetrack, get more seat time, and that's a good thing. He's only four points out of the playoffs right now at JD Motorsports, so that's huge. Um, a couple of other interesting points as you look at the Xfinity Series, they got two weeks off before we go to Texas. They will not run Martinsville next week. Then they got an additional week off because that, the, whole, uh, the whole sport is off for Easter weekend after that. And then they go to Texas Motor Speedway, and the Xfinity Series teams will run then. Um, you know, and you look at the points, it, basically, like you said, Junior Motorsports, the top three guys, and it was Christopher Bell, who I think Joe Gibbs Racing is a little bit thrown off this year in the Xfinity Series. I think whether it's composite bodies or the optical scanning system has really thrown them off a little bit. They're not running as strong as they have in the past. So Bell's fourth, and it's Hemrick, Custer, Gallagher, Truex, Brandon Jones, and Matt Tiff, the top 10, Ryan Reed, Kaz Gralich, and Ross Chastain, in the top 13. One guy that stands outside of tough here, Austin Sindrick, the rookie, uh, he tried last year, ran the truck series, made the playoffs. A tough year so far. He's running the full season in Xfinity uh, between Team Penske and Rosh Fenway. 
uh, but a tough year so far for him. Uh, what stands out for the Xfinity Series before they head to Texas Motor Speedway for you, John? Well, uh, the one thing that stands out to me in the Xfinity Series, um, whatever you were saying about Joe Gibbs and Christopher Bell, they seem to be a little bit off. I think one of the things that Joe Gibbs Xfinity Series always used as their barometer was Kyle Busch. And they got a lot of notes, a lot of feedback, and a lot of ideas of how to set up the cars. And I think a lot of the young drivers for Joe Gibbs Racing basically got in cars that that were set up for Kyle Busch and were able to go. And I don't think they're getting that feedback as much with Kyle Busch only being able to run seven races and they're going to spread them out throughout the first 26. But I think that has a lot to do performance of Joe Gibbs racing that Kyle Busch isn't putting in that consistent feedback that he used to do at almost every companion race. I mean, take out Daytona before they started putting the rules in. How many companion races did Kyle Busch not run for Joe Gibbs racing in the Xfinity series? It was few and far between that Kyle Busch didn't run the <clears> companion <throat> races. And there's a lot of notes that came out of that. And there's a lot of drivers who would pick Kyle Busch's dra- brain and figure out how to make the, how to make their car better. And you've got Eric Jones, who's a rookie in the series. You've got Ryan Priest, who runs here and there. You've got um, uh, Jones, Brandon Jones, who was a wreck fest at RCR last year and is just trying to keep it off the wall. So you don't have the experience. You don't have the notebook that was built by somebody who wins on a regular basis. No doubt about it. And, uh, that'll wrap up tonight's episode of Talking in Circles. We'll be back here Wednesday night. Uh, like our Twitter page, like us on Facebook, and we'll see you next time. Good night, everybody.